Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, could be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner of BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Hey, hey, ho, ho. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast as we get you ready for week three of the college football season and take a look back at week number two. He's J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports. You can also catch him on TheBigSpur.com and several other platforms at J.C. Sherbert on Twitter. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, fresh off a trip to Kentucky, getting ready for a trip to Ole Miss, and uh, getting ready to do what we do, JC, and that's talk about college football for the next hour or so. First off, i got to say I'm in a good mood. Uh, number one, it actually rained in Atlanta yesterday. Hmm. Uh, we have been in the Sahara Desert for much of this summer. And I don't mind telling you, uh, I like summer rain. I don't like winter rain. Big fan of summer rain. Cools things off. It's nice to just go outside and see a good storm. So that's that's number one. Felt felt good about that. Number two, this is the second week of uh, being able to use some new equipment. You know, we um, in the podcasting world, the te- technology is such that JC and I are seldom in the same room. Or studio when we do this, uh, technology allows us to do it from remote locations. But I've been doing it for the last three years or so where I can't even hear myself talk in my headphones. That has changed now thanks to this uh, lovely device that I've been turned on to. So uh, I'm not saying I'm in love with my own voice, but it is nice to be able to hear me when I'm talking. If you ever watch radio shows on TV, you see they're all wearing headsets that's because it helps us. Don't ask me how to this day. I'm not even sure how, but it does help us uh, coordinate our thoughts and know how we sound without uh, having to guesswork it. I basically 
basically have been guest working it for three years, but <laughs> hopefully you folks didn't notice. Anyway, that's good news. Uh, what else is good news? Good news is college football is is going strong. We had another strong week. JC, we had two marquee games, one that lived up to the hype, the other one not so much, but uh, some some sneaky good games, some sneaky surprising results, and a whole lot of angst in Knoxville. But with all that being said, how are you, sir? Doing well. Um, you know, it's very rare that uh, I actually sort of feel bad for a fan base, um, especially around the SEC where, you know, when they have success, most SEC programs from – Vanderbilt on up, uh, they get kind of obnoxious. Hmm. Um, and, you know, but uh, Tennessee, boy, I felt bad for them uh, this past weekend. But it's a, it's a good week, some more good games coming up this weekend. Um, you know, that week three is usually when there's a lot of surprises, but we had such a surprising week one. And then in week two, there were some real Jekyll and Hyde performances by some teams in terms of uh, – bad the first week and then turn it around the next week. Um, even some teams that, you know, still had relatively difficult team uh, competition. So, um, you know, uh, lots to talk about today. Obviously, lots of surprises uh, around the country and uh, things like that. Uh, certainly, uh, so far this year, Mike, I think we've had a pretty entertaining college football season, to say the least. You know, I, I thought about leading off with the the big two games, and we'll obviously get to that. But since you mentioned Tennessee, yeah, <laughs> right off I, the bat, I, you know, it, it's hard to even bury them like in block B or C to use a TV term. They're kind of a block A story because I was thinking about this the other day. There's some programs that have been mired in mediocrity for several decades. And so when they're having an off year, yeah, it sucks. But it's not as if they had this tremendous fall from grace. Tennessee wins a national title in what, 98, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is 21 years ago. They had a sustained level of success for a good 10 years under Fulmer. They had sustained levels of success under Majors, under Neyland. You get the idea. This is a program that's got history, tradition, and overwhelming success for the most part. What other program can you think of? Tennessee, keep in mind has not been mired in NCAA sanctions. They didn't get the death penalty. They didn't get uh, this incredible five-year scholarship reduction, bowl ban type situation. That's, that's unique. That could happen. That, can, well, that will debilitate anybody. This has all been self-inflicted without, quote-unquote, breaking the rules. This has been... And I know some people will say, well, it all started when they fired Fulmer. It was going downhill toward the end of Fulmer. I, I, I don't think keeping Phil Fulmer was going to be the saving grace. I think their first mistake was they replaced Fulmer with Lane Kiffin. And then he leaves after one year. And then you make questionable hires like Derek Dooley and Butch Jones. And now, of course, a lot of people are going to be questioning the hire of Jeremy Pruitt, which is kind of funny because you know there, there was like a parade when they finally landed on him. Uh, and we were told he was the answer to every Tennessee fan's prayers. And I was never, what did I tell you, JC? I thought the higher Jeremy Pruitt, if you compare the resumes, 
was not unlike Florida going after Will Muschamp. Guy had never been a head coach, but been a very successful defensive coordinator at multiple stops. But the fact of the matter is we just didn't know. That was my assessment of the Jeremy Pruitt hire. I wasn't going to sit here and say it was a bad hire. I certainly wasn't going to sit here and say, oh, I'm convinced it's a great hire. I was just in the gray area of I truly don't know if that's the right hire. Um, But all that being said, you back it up post-Fulmer. Find me another program with Tennessee's cachet or greater that has been this unsuccessful. I'm trying to find the right word. I, I don't even know. Unsuccessful is not harsh enough. Has had this much of a debacle in so many different ways. And again, no probation. No, this is not an NCAA inflicted. Find me another program of that cachet that's gone through what Tennessee has. Find me another fan base that has gone through this amount of abuse that, again, for, for many, many years, their parents, their grandparents, their uncles and aunts can say, well, we used to be really good. I, I, I promise you, son. I promise you, daughter. We used to be an incredibly prideful program that was continually good. Who else can you put on that, that Mount Rushmore, if you will, with Tennessee? Well, at this point, you know, nobody. I mean, you know, you think back to the 90s and, and even back to the 80s and, you know, I just jotted down a couple of programs here. You know, Nebraska certainly in the national power it was under Tom Osborne. Mm-hmm. And but they also had some external things. Moving to the Big Ten was a, a change for them. Getting going from the Big Twelve to the Big Ten, that sort of cut off a lot of the Texas recruiting they were doing in that footprint, and and they got more Ohio heavy under Pelini, uh, and fall from grace, obviously there. Uh, but still, Nebraska played for the two thousand and one national championship, and right. they they've been to bowl games and, and all that. Um, Florida State came back and won a national championship under Jimbo Fisher in 2013. Um, and they've been very, very relevant, you know, um, at times, uh, especially in the early 2000s. Uh, Miami may be the closest I can think of, but Miami still is a solid bowl team every year. You know, I think it's sort of embarrassing for that program. They've won the ACC Coastal once in the 14 years they've been in the league because obviously I think the talent level down there is – you know, superior to a lot of those programs in the division, but they, they've still kept it above water. Tennessee right now, Mike, like let's say they have a losing season this year, which I would call it likely. Um, you never know, but likely. That's four winning seasons in 12 years. Since Fulmer, they've had four winning seasons, and it's been 12 years. Um, they did go to a bowl one year and it inexplicably lost to North Carolina in the Music City Bowl. Um, and that was a losing season, but a bowl season. So bowl years have been five of 11. They peaked at, I think, back-to-back nine-win years under Butch Jones, where Outback Bowl and Music City Bowl trips. Um, and then it fell apart the next year under Jones. They went winless in the SEC. Tennessee fundamentally has always been a more difficult job than people think. Um, you could argue that Philip Fulmer really overachieved um, and that a lot of their, their their coaches have been overachieving. I mean, they've got great support. They're in a big state. But that state does not uh, – while that state has gotten a lot better in the, in the last five years recruiting-wise, 
And this is the irony of it as well, because now they're having trouble keeping guys in the state. Um, you know, they've had to go out of state and recruit, and that's difficult. That's difficult when you got to go to Georgia and beat Georgia on a Georgia kid. That's difficult when you're coming into the Carolinas. It's difficult when you're going into Virginia. Uh, and Fulmer had the recruiting machine rolling. I mean, they had they were able to get talent. Um, so it's always been a job where you look at it and say, you know, they're not even as as set up geographically as like an old Miss or Mississippi State. Because that state in Mississippi, they have enough talent to where both those teams at times can be pretty good, which we've seen, um, you know, in the last few years when they consistently got the in-state talent. Mississippi has a good JUCO system, that type of thing. Um, you could even so you can make an argument the Mississippi schools are set up better than Tennessee because Mississippi produces more NFL players. Um, nowhere near set up like a Georgia, or LSU, or even an Alabama, Auburn. Um, in terms of uh, access to talent. So my theory was during the middle of the 2000s when it started to slip, and that last Fulmer team was not very good. They were ranked just about the whole year. They lost to South Carolina at home. Fulmer got fired. No, no, I'm sorry. 28, they lost South Carolina and Columbia by 21. Steven Garcia was a freshman quarterback in that game, um, and he got fired the next week. Uh, they lost to Wyoming at home down the stretch, and it was their, I think, second losing season out of four, so there were cracks. He couldn't figure out the offense. Ironically, his offensive coordinator was Dave Clawson, who's having a heck of a run at Wake Forest as the head coach now. Um, just couldn't work. Uh, the, 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 the post-Cutcliffe kind of deal, you know, hurt him offensively. Uh, Cutcliffe was there in 07 calling plays. It was his second stint there after he got fired at Ole Miss. Uh, he goes and takes the Duke job in 08. They hire Clawson. Disaster happens again. And so I think I think you're right. But they just, you know, and some people will blame it on the turnover. Oh, they can't. Well, they can't fire Pruitt because, you know, they got to give him time because they keep firing coaches and that hurts. And that does hurt you. But I, I think what's going on right now, it's different than the Dooley. The Dooley era – they just weren't very good and didn't have a lot of players. Okay. That 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 football team, Derek Dooley, the games he did win were a result of Lane Kiffin getting some studs in there. And that kind of put bubblegum <laughs> into the dam holes, so to speak. <laughs> but that that they just didn't, they didn't have a lot of talent. Butch Jones gets back, he starts recruiting. Uh, and actually, I didn't know that he would recruit as well as he did in terms of landing players and winning battles, and they did. They had some in-state guys that were really good prospects. They had a guy like Khalil McKenzie, who was a legacy, a five-star D-tackle out of California. They went and got. Uh, they had uh, uh, the Bates guy out of Florida at linebacker. They went and got. So, so it was. I was almost like at that point when Butch was signing these classes, I was like, well, it's set up for them to get back, and then they can go back national. And then the bottom fell out. Uh, I think they have a cultural problem with the players right now. I think Butch Jones, for whatever reason, did not have a good locker room. I, huh. y- you see, it's just about every week that a player from Tennessee enters the transfer portal. Um, and I think that at this point, it, it, it is a disaster, but it's going to take time. And, <clears> and, and, you know, I still don't know that we know much about Jeremy Pruitt. I'll know, I now know this, and this is my final point here. You talk to people around Alabama – and 
they're all and, and Pruitt is an Alabama guy. He rose up through the ranks of high school coaches, and they're almost defensive about it. You know, no, Pruitt is a good coach. He will win there. He will recruit. He'll get some guys going. Um, but at a program like Tennessee that suffered so bad, I mean, they at least hope that you can beat Georgia State and BYU. I mean, that's a, that that was a, a tough one. Yeah, I, I mean, like the BYU result, quite honestly, doesn't surprise me. Um, I would never schedule BYU if never. I was an SEC school. Ever. Never, not not at home, not away, not neutral. Never, ever, ever, never, ever. It's very little to gain. It's always the potential of a loss. You're dealing with kids very often that are older, more mature. They always seem to have the ability to put some points on the board. They always seem to have uh, an NFL guy or two on their roster. And I will not question Tennessee's effort in that game. Uh, If you watched it, they played hard. I will not question a lot of their effectiveness in that game. I knew that was going to be a battle. I don't know how anybody else would have been convinced otherwise. Um, in fact, I was a little surprised that Tennessee was a favorite going into that game, but they lost it on a, on a huge mental breakdown. That's where you say, Oh, come on now. And that's where immediately the fingers start pointing toward coaching. Uh, A couple of things to, to double back on my, my original point. First of all, Butch Jones somewhere, you know, he's smiling. He's saying, Hey, I went back to back nine and four. I won three bowl games was it really that bad? Champions of life? Okay, mock me. But, you know, I, I did some, some decent things there. Uh, but clearly it was, it was like you said, the culture was rotting from within under Butch Jones, and it was not going to work. You go back. I, I, I mentioned Phil Fulmer. Look, I have great respect for Phil, Phil, Phil Fulmer, but let's not forget two of his last four years as Tennessee coach, they were losing records. Five and seven, five and six. So not all was rosy toward the end of Phil Fulmer. For those that think that was still an unjustifiable uh, firing, it, it started to, to wear off a little bit under Phil late. And as you mentioned, he lost some of his key uh, coaches and coordinators. But this is a program. I understand what you're looking at it from a recruiting standpoint, JC, and that's always been the thing about Tennessee. It's it's not going to produce the level of blue chip talent that so many of the other states within the southeastern conference had but with all due respect to Ole Miss and Mississippi State they don't light a candle to recent success they don't have a hundred thousand seat stadium they don't have some of the things that Tennessee has from an advantage standpoint Mm -hmm. and again it, it it wasn't just Phil Fulmer I mean Johnny Majors you look at his last few years he produced nine and three nine and three nine and two 11 and 1, 10, 2 and 1. They won under Johnny Majors in the 80s and early 90s. Heck, they won under Bill Battle. The only, the only thing Bill Battle could not do was beat Alabama, which back then was an unpardonable sin. But Bill Battle had three straight years where they won 10 or more games. Uh, you, you could go back decades and, and see, obviously, Bob Nealon. Um, Tennessee is, in my estimation, a blue blood program. They are, they are built, regardless of recruiting challenges, they are built to be top 20 perennially. And how it got to this point is, is really, uh, like I've said before, it's a 30 for 30. It's a 30 for 30 to examine how Tennessee can go from what they were in the early 2000s, in the 90s, in the 80s, in the 70s, to where they've been, <clears throat> which is hiring and firing coaches, making a debacle of a coaching hire, 
uh, a whole lot of five and sevens on the resume, potentially another losing season this year under their second year head coach, Jeremy Pruitt, with a returning quarterback, with weapons on offense. It, it is interesting to see. It's, it's a case study in how you can fall from grace. I like your Nebraska example. Um, and, you know, Scott Frost lost another tough one. They have they have lost some heartbreakers during his tenure there. You know, will Nebraska ever get to the point that they were? I don't think they're going to get there anytime soon. I think Nebraska is going to be good again. Like they're they're not going to be three titles in four years good, but they're going to be good. I believe. I don't think they're going to to be a power. But Tennessee to have this type of fall from grace. You mentioned Miami. Miami's had more consistent success, but but certainly that those two do come to mind in the same conversation, I guess, as Tennessee. But the list is small. The list is small to find programs with that much going for it that have had this much turmoil. And that fan base, I I can't think of a a fan base that has had to deal with more nonsense in the last decade for a fan base that, again, has been somewhat spoiled over the years than Tennessee fans. Yeah, they've got resources, man, and you're right. I mean, they're averaging 2.5 SEC wins a year since Fulmer left. 2.5. Um, And it's like, look, I I get it, okay? You go 12 years after the guy leaves. You know, Alabama kind of had a stretch. You know, Gene Stallings brought it back for a a pretty successful run, but you you went through Ray Perkins and Bill Curry and Mike DeBoe. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Come on, one more rep. You got this. Uh, Ten. There it is. Nice work, man. You're a beast. Thanks, man. I feel better than I have in years. And I got to tell you, taking Nugenics makes a huge difference for me. Nugenics? That's the uh, testosterone booster with TV ads with Frank Thomas. The big hurt, right? Oh, yeah. This is a legit product. The key ingredient is testophen, which helps boost free testosterone levels and increase lean muscle mass. Well, it's clearly working for you. Hey, are they still giving out complimentary bodies? Models for people to try for themselves? Yeah, Nugenics is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. Man, I need to get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. No problem. You just got to send them a text. Text BODY to 42424 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Nugenics samples are not available in stores, so text BODY to 42424 right now. Text BODY to 42424. That's BODY to 42424. Bose and Mike, the, the Mikes, Mike DeBose, Mike Shula, Mike Price for a little while. Um, and then they <laughs> don't impugn it. this whole Mike Nation based on those three. The Mike Some of Nation. us Mikes are pretty good. <laughs> and they got they got what I call caged animal syndrome, and they went out and they weren't going to take no for an answer. And they got Nick Saban, and uh, heck, they almost had Rich Rodriguez. So that would be a little weird. I mean, Michigan r- arguably did the same thing, you know, after after Lloyd Carr left. You know, they go through, they do the Rich Rod thing, and then they have the Brady Hoke thing. Um, and then they go and, um, and uh, you know, get Harbaugh, because that's a guy that made sense for them. Tennessee's never had that guy. Um, and every one of their coaching searches has been, I mean, they've tried to hire Mike Gundy three times. I mean, it, they, they, it just doesn't make... You know, the decisions that have been made there haven't made a lot of sense. And, and look, I you know, you get back to recruiting. I, I think if Lane Kiffin had stayed at Tennessee, regardless of uh, – he went 7-6 and six his first year and went to the Peach Bowl, almost beat Alabama, uh, that national championship Alabama team. Remember uh, Cody 
blocked a field goal. It was mm-hmm. twelve to ten. Right. And Cody blocks the game winning field goal and, and Bama of course went on to win the national championship. I, I think even if the results hadn't been there, whoever got the job after Kiffin would have had a load of talent to work And let with. me just say this on, on that note. The reason why I say Lane Kiffin was a bad hire isn't necessarily because I think he's an awful coach or was an awful coach. I think there was there it's questionable how good of a coach he was. But I think you had to know how flighty he is mm-hmm. and how it, it and, and how he was never going to be all in like I'm going to be a Tennessee coach for 10 years. That for him was nothing more than a transitional springboard type job. And as an A.D., you have to know that you have to see that he already had his eyes on the NFL and he likes the glitz and glamour. So the moment that he had the chance to go to, say, a Southern Cal or somewhere like that, you knew he was going to. Ju- That's why I say. That hire was very risky, and it turned out to be a a bust, not just based on wins and losses, but you lose your – you make a firing, you hire a guy, and then he bolts after one year. That sets the program back. Yeah, and the Dooley hire was bad, too. Now, look, I I think Derek Dooley's doing a pretty good job as the OC at Missouri, and uh, I I thought, like, personality-wise, he was a lot different than Kiffin and certainly – his press conferences were some of the more entertaining I've, I've ever seen. And I think he's a smart guy. But what, what you had to do in that situation, Mike, is you had to look at what Derek Dooley did at Louisiana Tech, okay, where he was kind of also the AD. I think he, he beat a Sylvester Croom-led Mississippi State team when for some reason Mississippi State went to Ruston to play. Um, but those weren't very good Mississippi State teams, if we no. can recall. But you look at his overall record, and it's it's like fourteen and seven. I mean, it wasn't a winning record. And Louisiana Tech, through the years, you know, they're not world beaters, but they're pretty good on the mid major level. And, and there's a guy that didn't really win big there. You always got to be aware of the mid major coach, I think, or the group of five coach that has a losing record, uh, unless it's like a Chad Morris who was at SMU, and SMU was the worst team in college football. And then maybe you give him a pass. But, you know, I I hate to invoke the name of Darren Horn, um, who's now the head coach at Northern Kentucky. Darren Horn was at a good mid-major job. Okay. Um, And actually, those two. We're talking about a basketball. A lot of people listening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Darren Horn was the head basketball coach at Western Kentucky in South Carolina. Okay. And, And, okay, so. So it's, it's like basketball. All right, so Darren Horn is at Western Kentucky. Everybody knows Western Kentucky basketball. That's his alma mater. It's a successful program. They've been to a Final Four. That's a good mid-major job. A good mid-major job. As it is in football, too, quite frankly. Okay? But you, you look at his results at Western Kentucky in basketball. They had one good year, a lot of bad mediocre years, blah, blah, blah. South Carolina hires him based on the one good year. He was a disaster. Those two could pass for brothers, too, by the way, Darren Horn and Derek Dooley. They kind of look alike. But um, that was my question about Dooley. I thought he checked a lot of boxes. He's a name. Um, hired a decent staff, uh, you know. But I, I kind of thought, well, the results just aren't quite there. And so, you know, that, that, that's a, you know, never hire as a coordinator the guy that works for the guy. Number one, never hire a head coach that's at a good mid-major job that doesn't have the results 
And uh, Willie Taggart's a guy we'll talk about soon <laughs> on this, too, speaking of Western Kentucky. Goodness. But I think the Dooley hire, although the ball got rolling down to uh, the abyss, because they are in the abyss. Let's. I think right now we can safely say Tennessee is in the abyss. Um, the ball got rolling toward the abyss with Lane Kiffin, but Derek Dooley played, you know, soccer and kicked it down the field, okay? Butch Jones, I mean, that's a guy you hire. You look at Cincinnati and the coaches that have come out of there. I mean, that, that, that wasn't a terrible hire. And he didn't have terrible results until the end. And he and who knew that he would have this toxic culture that developed on his roster? So, you know, I, I, I think that it, it is the Kiffin hire that got it rolling. I think the Dooley hire torpedoed the program. Butch brought it back but wasn't to the level they wanted. Uh, and then ultimately, because of a toxic culture, the bottom fell out. And I'm saying this, Mike, one more point here. You start going more than a decade where you're like, you look at the SEC record and Tennessee's at the bottom of the East. During this period that we've had with the SEC East, you know, that's major, major. Th- those are major problems. That That's not, I mean, when you're sitting down there like even with Kentucky and Vandy de- throughout the last decade with SEC record, that that's a major problem. They're not just mediocre. They're not just saying, ah, we keep going to Shreveport and Nashville and Charlotte for the bowl. Maybe we make the Gator Bowl, but you know, but you're still, you know, seven and five or whatever. That that that's not what's happening at Tennessee. Tennessee <laughs> only has a winning season a third of the time since Fulmer left. So I don't know if Philip Fulmer will take back over the team or not. I think that the Ooh. I think Mac and that's a big rumor all Ooh. over Feinbaum. The John Adams from the Knoxville News Sentinel had a column yeah. about it. I don't know. I mean, look at looking at Fulmer's mo over the years, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, but uh, and that's not a shot at him. I mean, I, I think it's clear what he wants. I think Mac Brown's success at North Carolina. Maybe has the, the the wheels spinning a little bit here because they're the yeah. same age, but um, yeah. you know, will that happen? I don't know. I mean, but it, it it's one of those things where I I just feel terrible for that fan base because they still fill up that stadium and show yeah. up. Yeah, I was there. I did a game there last year, and uh, you know there was some optimism in the air. And uh, again, they did fill up the stadium, and and there's no doubting the passion for Tennessee football. That is not an ambivalent, uh, fan base. Um, by the way, to me, there's a big difference between North Carolina grabbing Mac Brown and Tennessee grabbing Phil Fulmer. And I, I've read the same reports you have, and I've heard the same things. I think some of that, quite frankly, is just lazy dot to dot. Well, this, this kind of makes sense. So let's make it a rumor. I don't know if Phil Fulmer even wants that at this stage, and if, if he does and you give it to him, that is a real short-term solution. If you're North Carolina, you have to you have to operate a little bit out of desperation because you're not a football school and you've had sanctions and you've had just a mess. So Mac Brown gives you a case of the feel-goods, even if he doesn't win a ton. And the expectations are obviously lower in Chapel Hill. Uh, at Tennessee, man, that reeks of desperation if they went that route. It just does. And by the way, that would be the sixth head coach in 13 years hmm. if they make another change at Tennessee. Six in 13 years. That might be a record for any program. Forget about 
you know, a, a blue blood. That, that might just be a record in college football at any level. Six and 13 years? Um, I think you have, to, you, you have to stick it out with Jeremy Pruitt. This is not a Willie Taggart situation. Willie doesn't even look like – Willie looks like a guy who was coaching JV football and they – the reality show. They said, here, why don't you coach a – a power five program and we're going to pay you like you know what you're doing and we're going to give you a staff like you know what you're doing and we're going to see how it goes and we're going to have cameras everywhere and instead of calling it last chance you it's going to be called uh, i don't know uh what the heck am i doing you uh, whatever that but but this i just don't think you can fire jeremy pruitt i don't care what happens this year you go two and done with him how toxic does it look then to the to the potential coaching hires you can make? It, how how bad does it look? You know what premier coach is going to want to jump at that? Uh, look, you had a chance to get Mike Leach, and you had some angst in the air and disconsternation with your AD and boosters and everything else. That to me would have been. I, I can't sit here and predict it was going to solve everything, but gosh, that would have been a lot of fun. It would have seemed like a really sensible hire, uh, but but that was not going to happen. Jeremy Pruitt, I think, deserves to, to at least see if he can right the ship and go from there, and you're not going to learn that after after two years. So anyway, that's enough on Tennessee football, but I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's, I think it's one of the most fascinating things. I'm sure Tennessee fans don't think it's fascinating. They're just frustrated and uh, sick to their stomach about how this has gone over the last decade, but... Uh, to see how quickly it can go. And it, it is, you know, I use that term volcano programs where there's some programs, no matter how, how bad they turn out for a period in time, they're going to get back up. Florida State's going to get back up there with or without Willie Taggart. Southern Cal is going to return. And, hey, they're 2-0 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking for a new athletic director, but they're 2-0. Uh, you know, Texas, you see what they're doing now. I know they lost a tough one to LSU, but for, for the most part, Texas football is back under Tom Herman. Uh, those are those are programs that are just they're not going to fail for long but tennessee you take away again back to back nine and fours under butch jones i don't want to dismiss that but other than that it's been a whole lot of bad in knoxville i mentioned lsu texas hey i'm the first one to tell you i didn't think ed orgeron was going to work okay (laughs) i've talked to a lot of people at ole miss that was a debacle but you know what Here's the thing. I give Ed Orgeron credit. He has admitted it wasn't anybody else's fault but his for the debacle at Ole Miss. Sometimes a guy is just not ready. But like all of us in life, we learn from our mistakes and we use that to our advantage. And if we get that second or third opportunity, we're going to cash in. And he has cashed in. And sometimes you have to admit what you're doing is not the right way to get to where you need to be. So you do hire an offensive coordinator that's going to run a 21st century offense. And you do let a talent like Joe Burrow actually excel. And you win a shootout that they never would have won with the offense they've been running the last 10 years at LSU. So I give Ed Orger on credit. I think LSU is a great story. I think they're legit. And by the way, I know a lot of people for whatever reason, didn't see that game. And they just saw Joe Burrow's stat line. They said, wow, that's impressive. How about that offense? Let me tell you something. If you watched that game, and I went back on tape and watched it, Joe Burrow made NFL throws. This was not an offense. Don't just credit it to scheme. This was not where receivers were running five yards in the clear 
and he just bloop, dumped it over, bloop, bloop, touchdown, touchdown. The scheme is fine, but Joe Burrow made NFL throws. Joe Burrow made throws that guys were not necessarily wide open. He made the key plays. He looked like an NFL quarterback. So congrats all around LSU, and it looks like we might indeed. And I have, I have been reluctant to say this. And look, they still might get handed to it, handed to him again by Bama. But we might actually have a three-headed monster, J.C., in the SEC, not a two. Alabama, Georgia, and welcome LSU to the top tier. I think it sets up an interesting dynamic, too, because if Texas goes on to win the Big 12 um, and LSU, let's say they lose a close one in Tuscaloosa, they don't win the division, but um, they're 11-1, and one. you know – it's going to be an inter and heck, even if Texas maybe maybe Texas loses to Oklahoma and all that, and they go ten and two or something, that that's still like with that schedule and with them going and winning in Austin, that that really boosts their resume. Um, you mentioned Ed Orgeron. You know, look, give him credit. I, th- I think it's time to kind of get my man off the hot seat a little bit. I thought it could work because I think, like you said, in life sometimes we learn second chances, and I see what he did as an interim. Uh, at Southern Cal, before they decided to hire Clay Helton instead of him, you know, when he took over for Kiffin, he turned that thing around. Yeah, they were pretty good. They beat UCLA, had a good finish, finished six and two. Same thing at LSU when he took over for Les Miles. Um, and and the key is the staff, you know, and the key is the philosophy. LSU is always going to play good defense. They have one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, and Dave Aranda, who's outstanding. Um, or Geron's always going to be able to recruit, especially on the defensive line. Um, and, and I like what he's done and, and I don't remember the guy's name. Is it Brady? I don't remember who he hired from the saints to, uh, to really put some oomph in the passing game. But, um, you know, everybody thought, oh, well, Orgeron's meddling with Matt Canada and, you know, he's not ever going to get it with the offense. They lost at home to Troy. Um, that was a dark day. He fires Matt Canada, and he goes Space Cowboys and hires Steve Emsminger, who's coached all around the SEC for years. So Emsminger starts calling it, and ironically, the, the offense gets a little better scheme-wise. He's putting up points, that type of thing. And then he, then he went and hired, and again, I'm, I don't have the guy's name in front of me, but it was an assistant from the Saints to come in and kind of be the passing game guy. And that added rocket fuel to it, and this is exactly what LSU has needed to do Are you talking years. about Joe Brady? Joe Brady, that's it. Yeah, Joe, that's yeah Brady. Joe Brady is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's the secret sauce right now. Yeah, I mean, he came in and, and installed uh, a lot of stuff that they do. Joe Burrow... Um, I've always thought he was good. Uh, I thought he may need a year to kind of adjust to LSU and that he would be better in his second year. I mean, he, he's a guy that was heavily in the mix for the Ohio State job. He's an in-state kid from Ohio that they signed and loved. Um, he just got beat out. So, uh, you know, I think by, by Dwayne Haskins, who was a top NFL draft pick. So, it, you know – one man's trash is another man's treasure, as they say. Uh, and he's been very successful down there. And he's always been a good player. He's always been a winner. But now, you, Mike, like you said, you see the mechanics. You, you see the arm. You see the consistency and performance that he's got. Um, and with their skill, talent, and their line, and the players they have on that roster, 
you know, that's kind of the missing ingredients. Now, now we'll see. We'll see. That was one game, one big one. I thought they were very impressive beating Georgia Southern in week one. Uh, I mean, you know, you got 100 points in two weeks. Uh, that's they hadn't seen that around Baton Rouge in a long time. So I, I am excited to see how this plays out. I think this is Orgeron's best team, and and this is a chance to for him to make some noise. And I can't wait to hear if they win the national championship this year. The post game <laughs> celebration. The I say this. The, the LSU Tigers are going to go. Hey, hey, you know that's going to be great. So. um I'm you got to drink up. a lot of whiskey and cigars to get the Ed Orgeron sound down, Pat. No, yeah, no. I mean, you 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 got to just soak yourself <laughs> in bottles of whiskey and light up the Cubans, and maybe just maybe uh, you can you can nail the Ed Orgeron impersonation, but it's hard. It is. It, it's, it's hard. Very difficult. It, it's so funny. The, the the guy up there in Memphis, and I forgot his name now. He does a talk show. He did the 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 Coach O song when he was at Ole Miss years and years ago, and 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 that will always be attached to Ed Orgeron. Oh, it's classic! If, it's just absolutely classic. Chris Vernon, I think, is his name, and I don't know if Chris Vernon has done anything funny since then, but that thing was hilarious. And <laughs> I mean, it's like anything else; it's a true caricature, so it's it's a little exaggerated, and it makes him look like, quite frankly, a meathead. Um, but, but nobody's laughing now at, at Coach O. Uh, he nailed it, and certainly nobody's laughing at Joe Burrow. 30, 31 of 39 for 471 and four touchdowns. And again, go back and look at some of those throws. It's not – i I'm not saying Texas they're, – they're world beaters on defense, but they got athletes, and a lot of those receivers were actually covered fairly well. Joe Burrow just made big-time plays. So welcome uh, you and I have been calling it the, the cabal, the oligarchy, whatever you want. LSU for the time being has now cracked the code and they join a whopping list of like five teams, Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio state. Welcome LSU. You're you're, you at least have a seat at the table. You haven't been served the meal yet, but you at least have a seat at the table and we'll see what they do the rest of the way. I think it's good for college football. You and I have been talking about how stale it's become at the top. Uh, we, we're just begging for a little diversity there in teams that are they're actually participating in the playoff and competing for a national championship. I realize LSU is hardly a dark horse, but it they haven't been there in a while. Uh, they haven't been in the playoff, and they haven't been relevant from a national championship story in a while, so it, it'd be great to have some fresh blood in there. Congratulations to the Bayou Bengals and what they were able to do. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on Clemson, Texas A&M, because quite frankly, it wasn't that good of a game. It wasn't even as close as the score indicated. Texas, that game to me was never in doubt. Clemson was clearly the better team. Uh, Coach Venables was going to make sure that Kellen Mond knew what pressure looked like and was going to make Kellen Mond beat him, and Kellen Mond did not. Uh, Kellen Mond still has a ways to go before he is at that level. And and Clemson, quite frankly, humbled him and, and humbled Texas A&M's offense for the better part of four quarters. Doesn't mean Texas A&M is not still on the way up and doing a lot of good things and Jimbo Fisher and everything else. They're just not in the league of a Clemson right now, and that showed itself at Death Valley. Yeah, I, I was impressed with Clemson's defense and how they played. I mean, that's where they had most of their personnel losses last year. Kellen Mond looked extremely uncomfortable most of the game, as sharp as he looked in the opener. I thought he just wasn't as uh, 
as sharp. I, I thought A&M's defense probably played well enough for them to win the football game, just to be honest. I, you know, I, I thought that, you know, you look at Clemson and, and sort of their offense, which obviously had some big plays. Justin Ross was outstanding. Um, Travis Etienne out of the backfield was really good catching passes, and that's kind of, you know, they talked about that on the broadcast um, against Georgia Tech, that that's something he's been working on, and we've all read that. But, I mean, you, you know, A&M to me looked just a little pedestrian, and now Ja'Shawn Corbin, who did not have a good game, 13 carries, 34 yards, their top running back is out for the year. Um, and, and I think it calls into question – you know, some things. I mean, not not that I expected them to go in there and play Clemson within two points. They did cover the 17-and-a-half-point spread. It was only 14, but, uh, you know, they weren't good on third down. They just didn't execute, you know, and, and Clemson shut down their run game, which I thought was a, a, brilliant, um, a brilliant strategy by Brent Venables to kind of just stop the run and all that good stuff. So, you know, they had turnovers. They had, you know, twice as many penalties as Clemson. 53 yards rushing. You're never going to win on the road. Um, but, yeah, Clemson is just uh, right there. And, and I'm telling you, after what happened to Syracuse this past weekend against Maryland, I don't know that Dino Babers and his team is going to give the Tigers a run for their money like they have the last two years when they meet in the Carrier Dome Saturday night. I, you know, I, I think this Clemson team, you know, is again very very strong and and impressive and um you know as advertised this season yeah no question about that um they they answered any questions at least for the time being and they i mean i think they're going to put it on cruise control for the rest of the season and when in conference play i i just i don't see any possible hiccups in that whole uh you know clemsoning that narrative has been dispelled really for a while now. Um, I remember making the point years ago on a, on a show here in Atlanta, how Clemsoning has been stolen away by Bob Stoops and at Oklahoma Stoopsing. Cause if you remember Oklahoma became the team that you could count on losing a game inexplicably before he finally retired and, and gave, gave the old baton to Lincoln Riley. But, uh, I think, I think Clemson's going to be just fine. That was their potential, uh, stumbling block uh, it's hard to see another one and and the whole you know Syracuse I think a lot of people were ready to crown Syracuse way too early uh they, they had a top 25 ranking if they beat Maryland game day was probably going to be at Syracuse which I know would please a lot of people in our business uh because there are several Syracuse grads who have managed to uh find jobs in broadcasting but uh, that being said, Syracuse is not ready for the big time, folks. And so they, they got absolutely hammered by Maryland. That was not even a game. Um, but I digress. We'll get to that and some other uh, results here in just a moment. I do want to mention BPSkinnerClothiers.com. This is the best thing going here right now, the fall special. Buy a sports jacket or a suit, and it'll be hard to want to just buy one from Brent Skinner, but but – Let's just say you buy one. You get a custom-made, button-down, top-quality shirt. Got your initials on the sleeve. Fits you perfectly. Make you look good. It's free, folks. It's free. It's the fall special. Just mention this podcast. Give them a call or check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. And, again, you don't have to go there. He'll come to you. 
Brent Skinner, the owner, comes out to you, does it all the time, does it for coaches, does it for TV personalities, does it for businessmen all over the country. You just go ahead and set up an appointment with Brent. He'll come out to you. You mention the special. You get yourself a free custom-made shirt with the purchase of a sports jacket or suit. It's where I get all my stuff, and believe you me, more than ever, I take pride in how I look and how it's presented. And so it's amazing the difference since I've discovered Brent Skinner and BP Skinner Clothiers. That's bpskinnerclothiers.com. There were other games, of course, that went on this weekend. Uh, some surprises, some some. The almost shockers the Michigan Army game we're watching that early on at the hotel and it's just like what is going on I know Army's a tough matchup and I don't I don't know if anybody wants to play Army but look Michigan didn't look that good in week one against Middle Tennessee State they have not looked good on offense for both games so there's still something missing in Ann Arbor and Jim Harbaugh is going to have to figure it out soon I, I can't put my finger on it. You know, I, I didn't buy the whole narrative that hiring Alabama's receivers coach was going to all of a sudden revolutionize their offense. Hmm. Um, guys, you know, not saying the guy can't call plays, and, and Gaddis has been a, a top assistant, in my opinion, for years. But uh, uh, I didn't buy that. Uh, I, I thought Michigan would be good. And, and I, I will warn everybody, though, um, Army – Lost Oklahoma 28-21 last year. <laughs> you know, right. they are a tough out. They, and, and But the thing, Michigan could have lost, though. And, and that, that game against Oklahoma, they sort of some – Oklahoma's defense obviously was terrible. Um, and Army held the ball for 42 minutes in that game last year. This was different, Mike, because this was Michigan doing things, uh, just making inexplicable mistakes. Uh, allowing big plays, allowing Army at times to push them around on the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, that's, a, that, that's you know, Harbaugh, I don't think they're going to fire Harbaugh. I still, I still think the guy is a great coach. Uh, I think maybe he overthought it with a new OC. I, I always think Jim Harbaugh should call the plays because he's a good play caller. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but um, – I wouldn't panic yet, but I, I think that because because you survive. But I, I do think that there are you know through two games you you can call into question their level of performance. Well, yeah, and, and, and it's it's not it's nothing near what we're talking about that's going on in Knoxville or some of these other places. Uh, Michigan's going to win a lot of games. Michigan's going to go bowling, uh, and it could very well once again come down to Michigan Ohio State for the Big Ten and a, and a possible berth in the playoff. But, you know, for Michigan fans, again, that's that's not what they signed up for. What they signed up for was Michigan to beat Ohio State, at least some of the time, and to be a national championship contender. And no one on planet Earth is going to say that they thought Jim Harbaugh to Michigan was a bad hire. That had everything written all over it that said, slam dunk, guaranteed success. It just hasn't worked out to the level that you would have thought as a Michigan fan or someone like myself just looking on the outside. And I'm like you. I like Jim Harbaugh. Uh, And I've defended Jim Harbaugh on this podcast saying, you know, let's let's not jump. Jump off the uh, the bandwagon yet. But at some point, 
they're going to have to look a little better. Again, this wasn't just an Army thing. They didn't look great in week one either. I, I, I'd like to see a little something else out of Michigan on offense, and I, I'd like to see certainly that program make it to the next level before I feel really comfortable about what's going on uh, Ann Arbor. But we'll see. A lot of yeah. games to be played. They're still undefeated. Like, you know, Again, it's uh, this could all be irrelevant. <laughs> One win against Ohio State, so, it solves every other thing we're talking about. It's all wiped off the board. It's uh, completely gone. I, if they beat Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a big one coming up in two weeks, though. Uh, Wisconsin in Camp Randall. And Wisconsin's been as impressive as anybody in the Big Ten through two games. I mean, they've outscored their opponents uh, 110 to nothing. <laughs> uh, they look like they're they kind of survived the bad year, the the mediocre year last year, and they've got a lot of momentum. Uh, both teams are off this weekend, but they do play here in a couple of weeks, and uh, that's going to be a big test for the Wolverines, I think, going up there and playing the Badgers. No doubt about it. Uh, let, let's go back. I don't. There's nothing else to say about Florida State needing overtime to beat another uh, Group Five directional school. It's it's Florida. You have a tight end lining up backwards. That that made oh. social media. That's that's not. It reminded me of the of the uh, Muschamp era at Florida when you had two players blocking each other. Remember that infamous clip? Well, this one you have a tight end for Florida State that's literally facing the wrong way on the pre-snap. Um, it's, it is what it is. I, I've got a lot of friends that are Florida State alums, and they're just scratching their head. Like, and, and it used to be inconceivable that you would fire a coach after two years, but I'm telling you right now, if it doesn't get better, and I mean markedly better. It's it's just not going to last for Willie Taggart. They will buy him out. They will find the money under the sofa cushions, and they will buy him out. Um, I, I, there's nothing I can say that hasn't already been said by us and others. Um, it's just it's bad. It's just really, really bad, inexplicably bad. There's more talent on there that you than you could possibly uh, justify the lack of results sometimes lack of effort sometimes lack of organization it's just bad piled upon bad piled upon bad so we'll see how that uh, goes uh i was at kentucky kentucky wins their game against a mac another mac school but the big news there terry wilson out for the year this completely changes the dynamics of kentucky football terry wilson was a guy they really had high hopes for and was kind of going to take over the leadership for benny snell who of course they lost on offense they're replacing their entire secondary. They've got a huge game. I never thought that we'd say Florida-Kentucky is a huge game, but the last few years it has been, thanks in part to what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky and thanks in part to what Florida has struggled to do overall as a program. So it's a huge game on ESPN, and uh, they've got a young man, a quarterback, who's not that raw. I mean, he was he's a grad transfer from Troy and actually led Troy uh, in, in their bowl game last year and actually showed some signs of being uh, effective, but that's a, that's a major loss for the Wildcats the rest of the season. And if you saw the play, it's one of those you knew right away it was going to be bad. It's It was kind of a pseudo horse collar attack when I say pseudo because he didn't actually grab in behind the neck. He grabbed the back of the jersey, and these guys are so strong now. Even with their bare hands, if they grab the back of the jersey, some of them can just rip you off the ground and make you fall backwards. And when he did it, his, uh, Terry Wilson's knee got twisted up, and 
had to be carted off. So that could certainly change the dynamics of the Eastern Division, J.C., yeah, I mean, Kentucky, I thought Terry Wilson was, was really good. Yeah, Sawyer Smith, though, came in through two touchdowns. I remember him at Troy. It was kind of an odd situation because he probably would have been the starter at Troy. Troy, of course, had a coaching change. Neil Brown went to West Virginia. And, uh, you know, they go from there. But, uh, uh, you know, and it's funny because Kentucky's backup quarterback from last year, I think last year, transferred to Ohio State to be the backup. So kind of weird. Uh, Gunner Hope. Gunner Hope. So, yeah. um you know, I, I I don't think it's completely done. I think Sawyer Smith in the passing game, Eddie Grant's probably going to you – he's know, still going to run the ball. Kowalski Smoke, I think, is a talented back. And is he Benny Snell? No, but he's pretty good and a little bit different type of back. And uh, they're still going to run the ball and try to play defense. I, I think the difference with Kentucky this year is that that defense is not – doesn't have the talent level it did last year. Everybody was all shocked about Kentucky last year on defense. They're like, oh, they don't even have the talent level. Well, this goes to show you that, yeah, they did. They put, like, I think they had six guys drafted and four of them were off that D. Um, That's right. More than one way to skin a cat when you're talking about talent. And uh, I just don't know that they're there this year. Now, Florida going up there, they're going to have to play well, you know. (laughs) I mean, they can't can't turn it over and and things like that. That was the key to every game. Um, And uh, obviously – you know, I think there's some things anytime you play Florida uh, and Grantham's defense, you could take advantage of in the passing game if you call plays right, which Eddie Grant certainly is good at that. So that's going to be interesting. I, you know, I I don't know that I would have expected Kentucky to contend in the East this year, but I don't know that I – I mean, I, I didn't know that they would be – you know, the bottom would fall out. Um, now, is this going to – is this going to mean that? I don't know. I think it does. It does mean that their offense is going to be fundamentally different, but I don't know that that means it's it's completely over. I like their offensive line. Five returning starters. Rose is actually a, a much faster back than Benny Snell. You mentioned Gavassier Smoke. He he's a, a threat, and Bowden is one of the fastest receivers in the league. Uh, offensively, I still think they can do some damage. Defensively, when you lose your entire secondary and your top five or six DBs. It's going to come back to bite you at some point. We'll see what Felipe Franks does. It's uh, <laughs> Felipe Franks versus a bewildered secondary. You would say advantage for Felipe Franks. We'll see if that happens. We'll see if, if Felipe can uh, turn it in and exploit that situation. Uh, Arkansas loses to Ole Miss. Mm. <sighs> Uh, Ole Miss, I, I've got Ole Miss this week, and, and you know, Matt Corral looked good, and uh, Scotty Phillips, very underrated back, will probably be in the NFL. But for the most part, this is more about Arkansas. Ar- Arkansas is, is just not, this is not a Chad Morris problem. It's as well, it's a problem for him, but this is not his doing. This is just residue from the last couple of years. They're in bad shape. It could be another really long year in Fayetteville, and it, it it begs the question: When, if ever, is Arkansas going to be relevant again? Uh, I mean, it it's going to be tough to get back to that point. Uh, they've always had issues recruiting solid defenses. Uh, they've tried the pass happy Petrino way that worked for a while. Bobby Petrino, by the way, recently apologizing. I don't know where that came from for for all that he put Arkansas through. Uh, and then they try the ground and pound under Bealum, and that didn't really work. 
and now it's back to pass happy Chad Morris. But they don't have the personnel right now to, to, to completely run that, and they still are lackluster on defense. So I, I just don't know. I'll, I'll use your term again. This is the abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Arkansas is in it, and I don't know how they navigate their way out of it, but it, it looks like it might take a little bit longer to do so. Well, yeah, and look, I, I think that, you know, with the way they try to recruit tech, and that's the thing too, you know, Arkansas – I don't. I don't want to compare them to Tennessee, uh, because you know they did have the Petrino years while obviously Tennessee was still wandering around. But um, I, I think that you know they recruit the state of Texas. The state of Texas is you know, and they've always done that historically. When they were in the Southwest Conference, the state of Texas was a wishbone power football kind of deal. The Big Eight was that way. The Southwest Conference was that way. Um, Arkansas went in there and got players. I, I think that because they are so Texas dependent again here in the SEC, and it's gotten harder when you're in the Southwest Conference and you're Arkansas and you're better than everybody but the Longhorns every year, you're going to go be, you know, just like Tennessee being able to raid neighboring states when they were good. Now it's harder because you got AM there, LSU. I mean, everybody recruits Texas. But the style of play football-wise in the state of Texas is such that I, I think they need to stick with the, the pass-happy approach for a while and just build it. Um, you know, Nick Starkle's taken over as the starting quarterback now. Um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, me and you sat here and talked about him beating out Kellen Mond last summer at Texas A&M. Uh, you know, pretty good player. But I don't know, man. I mean, I, I against the, an old now the Ole Miss defense. Give Mike McIntyre credit; they are improved. I mean, they held Memphis to fifteen, Arkansas to seventeen. Those are two teams that, if you're not good on defense, theoretically, they're going to score on you. But mm-hmm. you know, so give them credit for playing well on defense. Don't take anything away from them. But I, I was just kind of surprised that that game ended up like it did. I'm still not sold on Matt Corral. Uh, but Rich Rodriguez did a great job getting Phillips really heavily involved, and obviously Arkansas on defense has some issues. I mean, it's uh, they got a, a a veteran coordinator in John Chavis, but it's um, it's been kind of rough sledding uh, for them during the Morris era so far. And now, and now you look, Mike, and I don't know where the wins come from. You know, I don't, I don't know what, where what is what what SEC game would you call them a favorite in this year? I think it's the fight for one, the fight for one and seven. Yeah. That's what Arkansas season boils down to. Can they just spring an upset over somebody? Because mm-hmm. I'm with you. I don't think they're going to be favored over much. So can they just spring the one, make it one and seven, uh, pick up a couple out of conference wins and go from there? That's just where that program's at right now. I don't care who you put in as coach. It just happens to be Chad Morris, but that's just where they are from a, uh, a talent standpoint. Uh, South Carolina got a new quarterback. There's a new sheriff in town, Ryan Holinsky, filling in for Jake Bentley, who we know is not going to be back this year. Uh, look, it's Charleston Southern. You always have to take that with a grain of salt. But one thing you know about Ryan Holinsky going back to his recruiting, he has arm talent. He has raw physical abilities that made him a highly touted recruit so some excitement back in the air in columbia perhaps after a very disappointing week one loss to north carolina at least they have something to build upon there and 
Alabama is going to be an extremely tall order on Saturday, but maybe it's not as much about who wins or who loses that game, but how Polinsky looks, how the team plays overall. Do they compete and do they have something good to build upon for the rest of the year, get some more positive mojo? Yeah, you know, it was a. I think the team South Carolina played over the week, Charleston Southern, just was not very good. You're talking about an FCS team that's rebuilding under Altry Denson that had to practice away from their campus all week because of a hurricane threat and all this stuff. So it was, you know, just about any decent team that shows up was going to, that was going to be the result. But I think you play games like this so your players get confidence. I mean, I think that's just kind of how it is. I mean, you, you don't. You know, everyone's like, oh, this doesn't matter. And, no, it it doesn't mean they're going to go beat Alabama. But it it is perfect to get a freshman quarterback out there and get him rolling. 24 for 30. What I like about Helensky, he's got a quick release. Um, His arm positioning when he throws the ball, you know, no matter where his arm is positioned, uh, because sometimes he'll sidewind it in there or something, the the ball kind of comes to the same place. Good. Steve Spurrier used to talk about his quarterbacks throwing a good catchable ball. Good catchable ball, Mike. And um, that's important to throw a good catchable ball. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I, and I said, you know, and, and my heart breaks for Jake Bentley. I think, you know, I think he's a really good person and a, and, and a good player. You know, I, I know he takes a lot of crap from a lot of people. Uh, around South Carolina, but uh, he he really had some good moments as a quarterback at South Carolina. Unfortunately, it ended the way it did against North Carolina, at least for the time being. Um, But Helensky, you know, it's one of those things, and I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa earlier today, and I was talking about freshman quarterbacks because, you know, they're talking about the game. And I think, Mike, you know, I've been of the opinion that, hey, look, you know, guys like Tua and Trevor Lawrence and these guys, they only come along once in a while. We're not seeing a, you know, a freshman quarterback bonanza out there where it's going to be commonplace, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't, I'm, I'm kind of questioning myself about that now because, and it's not because of Ryan Helensky because he's, you know, he's not there yet. But I started thinking about, you know, Bo Nix. At Auburn, you know, Auburn's offense didn't look that great this weekend, but he led his team to victory against Oregon in a huge opening game. Um, Sam Howell at North Carolina. I mean, that guy's a game changer. Fourth and 17 against Miami after you blow a two-touchdown lead, he converts. Mac Brown is 2-0 and in Chapel Hill. Mm. Um, beat my, and Miami's 0-2, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of look at some other guys around the country, and I just don't know. I, and I, I, I there's – there was kind of talk, you know, when high school teams went to spread offenses and did seven on seven and things like that, that, that that's why, you know, quarterbacks from Texas ended up being a little bit more ready for college and things like that. I think a lot of high schools these days are running the RPOs, the run pass options. And that's been something that's kind of blown up in popularity the last two or three, three, four years. And, and so I think in some, some situations, you know, maybe the the, the newer guys are, are more adept. You know, if they come in with more talent, you know, they're more adept at running the RPOs than uh, than uh, maybe a guy that didn't do it so much in in high school. Um, and you know, so and not every every program runs RPOs. Oklahoma is is just straight play calls and things like that. Even though it looks like RPOs, but a lot of teams do. Georgia, Alabama. 
all these teams do. Auburn. Um, so, you know, hey, maybe maybe it maybe it'll be a situation where freshmen end up. Maybe this is a trend. I think it is. I think uh, one of the things you didn't mention too, things like the Manning camp. Um, mm-hmm. th- these kids get tutelage now from former pros. Um, you have the IMG Academy. You have a lot of stuff out there that just simply wasn't there 10, 20 years ago where these kids can be much more ready to play as freshmen at quarterback and they can grasp the offense. They're more and more mature physically. So I, I, I do think it's going to become more commonplace to see kids. And of course they enroll early um, to see kids play as freshmen and not have that waiting period of what well, you, you can't play a freshman at quarterback, especially in a league like the SEC. I, I think that is becoming mythical. And I think that is changing uh, as we speak. Um, some other games to look forward to. It's an interesting week of games. I, I wouldn't call it a blockbuster week. You certainly don't have the blockbuster out of conference matchup. Iowa, Iowa state is always a very underrated game. That's, that's very intriguing. Um, Iowa state has not looked quite as good as many of us thought they would so far this year, but that's a, that's a big time game. It's almost a pick 'em game. Arizona state at Michigan state. I mentioned this because this is the game a year ago that everybody jumped on the Herm Edwards bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that bandwagon could be short-lived, but we'll see. Uh, I mentioned Florida, Kentucky, Clemson, Syracuse. Again, I think some of the luster on that game has been worn off considering Syracuse couldn't stay on the field with Maryland. And then Oklahoma at UCLA, and I only bring that up. No one's going to pick Oklahoma to lose, but it's just another sign of you're, you're forced to look at what went wrong with Chip Kelly. Uh, and by the way, Chip Kelly did have some success in the NFL. I was listening to some guy on satellite radio yesterday, and he was saying it was a mess with Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. No, it wasn't. <laughs> he actually had some success there. Well, Sean McCoy tried to make it a mess and tried to paint Chip Kelly as this bad guy. I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think he's a guy with very, very little personality that doesn't relate to a lot of pl- people well. But uh, obviously what he did at Oregon in a lot of ways was revolutionary. I remember I remember watching a 60 minutes piece on Chip Kelly on his offense and what they did that was unique. Now, defensive coordinators like make a lot of money to break down tape and adjust and to all of a sudden change the dominance of an offense and humble it a bit. It ha- has happened to every great offensive mind that is coached in college football, particularly in this era where there's no secrets. Every game is televised. You have film on everything. You have all kinds of stuff going for you in order to, to figure things out. But that being said, his fall from grace and what is going on at UCLA, I didn't expect it to be this bad. And you just wonder, is the clock truly running out on Chip Kelly? I mean, if and when he gets fired at UCLA, then what? I think are we that, looking at the next coach at Louisiana Tech? I mean, what, what are we looking at with Chip Kelly? I think the NFL slowed him down a bit. Uh, you know, I I think that that's a different st- type of football. But, I, I mean, I I think, and I mentioned RPOs earlier. I mean, you know, you look at the Eagles, and they were kind of built to run that. I mean, they won a Super Bowl doing that. Um, and Chip Kelly, you know, does some st- did some stuff like that, did it at a very fast pace in college, I think. You know, as, as that type of offense has evolved, more teams are not going quite as fast. Um, and I, and I think too, UCLA is an example of 
you know, Jim Mora and his staff did a, on paper, did a good job recruiting a lot of, you know, three, four, five star guys. Um, and they're an example of it's not about always the stars, it's about getting the right stars. You know, that's why Alabama's so good. Yes, they recruit a bunch of four and five star talent, but they get the right guys. You know, there's some guys that are rated that high they don't want for, for a number of reasons. And so, you know, his roster is not all there. I think he's got major quarterback issues. Um, losing to two group of five teams to start the season is probably not what they envisioned. Um, and, and I think it's going to be, you know, as fascinating big picture-wise and historically, as much as we're in a historic moment with Tennessee right now, Mike, I think, you know, on the micro end and the short term, you know, this Chip Kelly thing's pretty fascinating. Because, I mean, look, I thought, I thought, hey, look, last year was year one. They did beat SC, um, you know, played well at the end of the year, got better as the season went on. But, I mean, this year's been a dumpster fire. They're, they're not even – they can't score. They're not competing. Yeah. I, I, I question the effort level, and I hesitate to do that, but they look like a team – and a group of players that doesn't necessarily want to compete for their head coach. And that's disappointing. That and That's an indictment on a lot of today's players from this generation who are so quick to bail, so quick to quit, so quick to, well, we're losing. I got to make sure everybody knows it's not my fault. So I'm not even trying and I'm not even going to play here. That's unfortunately a sign of the times, but whatever the case may be, it's under his watch and he's going to have to fall on the sword for it. And again, I, I don't I don't see that lasting long at UCLA. And if and when the the axe is dropped, I just wonder what the next chapter is for Chip Kelly. Talk about a fall from grace for a head coach. I mean, we we talked about Rich Rodriguez some last week, and of course now he's trying to build his his rep back up at Ole Miss as the OC. But this is a this is a magnificent fall from grace. They were like a last-second field goal away from winning a national championship at Oregon mm-hmm. not too long ago against Auburn. And look at where he is now. Uh, kind of crazy. All right, triple play of subjects before we sign off here. Lynn Swan out as AD at Southern Cal. you got to remember a lot of uh, scandals happened there. It's not just the lack of football team success. You, you've got that whole uh, – kind of pay for admittance uh, with the, the, the scam with the water polo team and everything. Um, so Lynn Swan, who was obviously a figure, and, I, and I've met Lynn Swan. Lynn Swan's an impressive individual, good guy, smart guy, but but never been a coach, never been an administrator. Like That was a bit of a reach to begin with. So he's out at Southern Cal. You have uh, what I like to call free on gate, free on gate where <laughs> Ed Orgeron and LSU saying that the Texas visiting locker room had no air conditioning. This got so, so much run to the point where the Texas Longhorns had to release an official statement that they put on Twitter. This was uh, two days ago, quote, the comment today about lack of air conditioning in our visiting locker room is the first we've heard of any issues in that area. We provide one of the best visitor setups available and are proud of the efforts we put forth in. Again, you got you got to you got to pay for the maintenance plan, Texas. You got to it's <laughs> ninety nine bucks a year. They'll change the filter, put a little Freon on that bad boy. Won't be an issue. If anybody knows 
it's too hot. You would think it'd be LSU. And then I thought uh, this was kind of clever. <laughs> this is from uh, Gus Malzahn. Uh, Nick Saban is, and I love Nick, and I've I've covered Nick, and I've uh, I've been around him, and he's been nothing but good to the guys who are doing his football games. Um, so when you meet him one on one, he's actually pretty cool. But when he gets in front of a podium at a press conference, he just always seems like he's in a really bad mood. So now his his latest complaint is about he's, he's, he's tired of talking about the schedule, right? Uh, you know, I'll play a bunch of Power Five teams. Da da da. Now he's complaining about he's disappointed they got to play the noon kickoff on the twenty first against Southern Miss because again it's going to be pretty hot and most teams don't like noon kickoffs. They'd rather have afternoon or night when it's cooler and prime time. Blah 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 blah. So that was like a big story for a day because when Nick Saban says, if Nick Saban complains about uh, the lack of fruity flavor in Skittles, it's going to be a 24 hour news cycle story. And by the way, I think Skittles has plenty of fruity flavor. I'm just using that hypothetically. <laughs> but so Auburn coach Gus Belson goes to the podium yesterday and he says, quote, our guys are excited about being back home for our second home game, playing a very solid Kent State team. And then he adds, 6 p.m. kick. Personally, I wish it was at noon so we'd have more time to prepare for our next opponent. <sighs> Clearly, that is a dig and some shade at Nick Saban. And for Gus Malzahn, not exactly known as the uh, quip master, that's pretty clever. But I thought that was kind of funny. So there you go. There's yeah. a three-headed monster there for you. Well, Lynn Swan, obviously, it was, it was, it's more than just football. and You can see the writing on the wall there. Um, I'll tell you what, though, I was impressed with Southern Cal this past weekend. Um, I thought, well, you're not supposed to call them Southern Cal, USC this past weekend. Um, 45-20 over Stanford, that's usually pretty solid and gives them fits. Their backup quarterback, 28 for 33. Graham Harrell, you know, underrated offensive coordinator hire for Clay Helton. They look like they can, can get the ball to their playmakers on offense now, and they're playing better defense. They got to go to BYU this weekend, which is going to be a big one because BYU is going to be fired up. But um, I, you know, they may not have to make a coaching change. If Southern Cal runs the table and makes the playoff out of the Pac 12, you know, they may not have to make a change, uh, the new AD. Now, maybe they will, but who knows? Well, I'll just say this real quick on that note the Pac 12 is pinning all its hopes now on Southern Cal a team that was five and seven a year ago in Utah, a team that's never been um, relevant since Urban Meyer's undefeated year, relevant in terms of actually competing for a championship because Washington inexplicably loses at home to Cal 20 to 19 Oregon already, you know, they knocked themselves out by losing to Auburn, a, a game that they won. They led by two scores in the second half. So the PAC 12 is quickly, kicking itself off Survivor Island, and they're now down to essentially two teams in Utah and Southern Cal. Yeah, and we're in week two. You know, Oregon did have an impressive bounce back, beating Nevada 77-6 after Nevada beat Purdue the week before. See, week one to week two, things get a little different. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and all that good stuff. As far as the kickoffs go, Mike, and you're in TV, and, and, you know, TV is about programming and stuff like that. But but here's the deal. There, there are two things going on at Alabama with these early kicks right now. First and foremost, Alabama, because they play neutral site games just about every single year, 
which I think they like and it's good for the program. There are years when their home schedule is is donkey, okay? And their fans don't like it, you know, because they like home games. Fans like coming to camp. I mean, as good as those neutral site games are, I think, for games and programs and, you know, the, the, the players and the coaches, they're terrible for a lot of fans who, you know, they're used to coming to campus and tailgating and, and going to a home game. And so I think that's at play. And then the noon kickoff deal around the South in September or the 11 a.m. kickoff deal or the New Mexico State-Alabama game started at 3. That's an issue Um, because it used to be very rarely would you have a noon kickoff uh, in September uh, around the South before the SEC network. Now the SEC network has slots to fill. And that we had the JP game, right? You'd have JP, and occasionally in conference play, ESPN would put a big SEC game on. But most of those were like ESPNU, ESPN News, whatever, in the evening. Um, and so I think that's the number two thing is, is a, there's a lot of fan bases around the league that these early September games that are against uh, Group of Five or FCS opponents that start at noon, uh, it's tough, and, and, and they don't want to go. I mean, it's just one of those things, and we could talk about the larger attendance issue, fans in the seats moving forward, but that's that's brutal. And and I I think there needs to be some discussion about it. Now, is the league office all of a sudden going to cater to Alabama? You know, I don't know. I know they – No. LSU, however, because of their tradition of playing mostly night games, they do get more night games. But but it's LSU. They've always done that since – they, all, I mean, when the games weren't on TV, LSU was playing at night when everybody else was playing at noon. I, I do think in the South, though, in September, you know, they probably do need to have a discussion about limiting the teams that have to go into that heat of the day time slot um, against l- lesser opponents. Because, look, if Alabama were playing Florida State or – I'm sorry, let's not use Florida State as an example. If Alabama were playing Michigan at home last week, that place would have been packed the whole time. No question. So, you right. know, I, I think – so there's just a lot of a lot of things kind of coming to a head there mm-hmm. th- that are smaller issues. Bama, Bama has scheduled more home-and-homes. Um you know, that, that are coming to a head now that are, that are part of the greater discussion about the game. Well, far be it for me to be, quote unquote, the ambassador of TV, since <laughs> that's my uh, number one profession. But let me put it to you this way. And this is not an Alabama thing. This is to all fans. And you can't get fans to agree on what they want as a start. Some fans simply do not like night games. Yeah, they do not like them. Yes, it's cooler. And but they some fans, they, they want to get up early. They go to church. They have family functions. Son. So uh, you can't play every game at 3.30. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the kind of game that before the SEC network, didn't matter what time you started it, it wasn't going to be on TV. Mm-hmm. Or you had to pay twenty nine ninety five for a third-rate broadcast. Sure. And I, and I, and I remember what those are like because yeah. I happen to be play-by-play on a lot of those twenty nine ninety five games. So people are going to be pissed off because they have to pay $30 or people are going to be really pissed off because they expect every game to be nationally televised now. So if you give them the choice, I'm talking about consensus now of any fan base. Okay. You can pick the time of the game, but there's absolutely no TV. So you're either there, buy a ticket, go, or you have no way of watching it. 
I think most fans are going to say, no, 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 no. We expect to be able to watch that game on our television, whether it's for the full game or if we leave at halftime, we want to watch the second half on TV. Uh, that is where we are. So it, it's, I know a lot of people say, ah, when did TV get to dictate everything? Well, actually, it's been going on for a long time, uh, just in, in greater levels. But TV pays a lot of money. Mm-hmm. All those fresh facilities, those coaching salaries, all so much of that money is television. And the fact of the matter is we are a spoiled college football fan base. We want to be able to see every game on TV. In order for that to work, you have to stagger kickoff times. You mm-hmm. can't have every game start in prime time at night, which, again, some people don't like anyway. And you can't have them all start at 3.30. CBS would have a little bit of an issue having their one game every week at 3.30 opposed by 37 other games. So I, you know, Nick Saban is, needs to talk about something other than the fact that his team is going to win minimum 11 games again. So this is what we get at a weekly press conference. But yeah, and it's not going to change anything, and it's not going to matter a whole lot. And the AD released a statement, too. This, it was a joint statement. We are disappointed that our game starts at 11 a.m., Against Southern Miss, we've played more noon kickoff. And, you know, and look, look, new home non-conference. Look at Alabama's home non-conference schedule, and and you can see it. it, it it's not that they don't play. You know, people people kind of beat them up about their scheduling, but they play a neutral site game every year. Now this year mm-hmm. it, was, it was a joke. They played Duke. Um, but I blame the Chick-fil-A kickoff people for that. Yeah, that wasn't their choice. Yeah. They didn't say, give me a lackluster power yeah. five team. No. That's what that's what they turned out. That's what they turned out. You know, but the, but that, that that's that I think is an Alabama issue because Alabama plays in these kickoff games more than any other program in the country. And I think I think that, you know, you, it, whereas, you know, you look at Clemson, the other you know, and Clemson plays an ACC schedule, but Clemson has a lot of home and home games lined up. You know, they played A and M the last two years. Now, before that, it was Auburn. They played home and home, and they got Georgia um, they got coming. Georgia, up. you know, they played they played Georgia. They've played some SEC team just about every year. They have Oklahoma in the future, home and home, um, and that's an Alabama administration and Nick Saban thing. I mean, and and they have to their credit. Started scheduling. They got Wisconsin coming up and, and some other games like that. And, and I think they're, you know, going to Dallas and going to Orlando and going to Atlanta, um, you know, two out of four years helps them recruit because, you know, Bama's in town and it's usually a pretty good opponent. But, but I think, you know, when they scheduled the Duke one and then last year around this time it broke that they were playing Miami here in a couple of years in Atlanta, I mean, they just threw up their hands. And, and I think that, you know, when they played Penn State home and home a few years back, I mean, that was huge for them, for that program, huge for Penn State. Um, and so I think that's a little bit at play too is that, you know, yeah, when, when you got Southern Miss, New Mexico State, and whoever else, you know, chances are it's going to be, you know, a new kickoff. Well, but, look, here's the thing. All fans want to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And and all fans want a great matchup at a conference Mm -hmm. until they lose. Yeah. And then they say, why in the hell didn't we schedule somebody? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you complain about, Oh my goodness, we're playing an FCS school. Oh my goodness. We're playing a group five school. Um, Would you rather have that or lose to a power five school? 
uh, and that's and so Nick Saban not have to apologize about Alabama's schedule. They have cracked the code. They know what the formula is. They're in the playoff every year. So why in the world are they going to go out of their way to change their philosophy on scheduling? Just like most SEC schools don't. Um, it, it, it matters not at the end of the year. Nobody cares whether that win comes against Western Carolina, Eastern Michigan, or Duke. Hmm. It, it, it's just a matter of whether or not you, you get the W and move on, survive in advance. And so I, I think all this talk about scheduling, the people that are, are barking the loudest from the mountaintops, uh, sans Nick Saban, the people that are barking the most are the people that don't have skin in the game. You're just talking as a media member fan. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm like anybody else. I want to see nothing but great matchups from, from noon to midnight every yeah. Saturday. But, but that's not reality because coaches, coaches are trying to survive out there. So they're not going to over-schedule. It's not basketball where you can do that and still survive and get in the tournament. It's football. And so I, if you if you understand, if you think about it the way a coach thinks about it, then you know why these schedules look the way they look. So it's not it's not worth complaining about until until the system is dramatically changed. And by the way, this is nothing new. Go back in your favorite school's media guide and look at the out of conference games in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, and you're going to see a patsies every year and 77 to 10 type scores. <laughs> Back when it was fashionable to pile up points and stats. So anyway, I, I, I think we've spent entirely too much time talking about scheduling. The SEC is not going to nine. The ACC is not going to nine anytime soon. And why would they? Why would they? The SEC is in the playoff every year. They've had two once. They might have two again this year. What's the motivation is what, is what you have to ask yourself the next time you're complaining about the scheduling. All right, JC, anything we missed? Anything that slipped through the cracks? I would like to uh, give a thumbs up and thumbs down. Oh, please um, do. I would like to give a thumbs up to Louisville, Scott Satterfield. That was a dumpster fire he took over. They were mm-hmm. competitive at least for three quarters against Notre Dame in the Labor Day opener. Um, beat Eastern Kentucky this weekend, 42 nothing. I know it's Eastern Kentucky, but that's solid. And he did, like I said, got a, it's a dumpster fire. They're exciting to watch. Um, thumbs up to North Carolina for rallying to beat Miami um, and their second straight win. I, I like what Mac Brown's done with his coordinators and the way he's kind of coaching this team. Uh, I, you know, and, and I don't I can't say that I thought that his last few years at Texas. And, and so uh, hats off to them. They got a big Friday night game at Wake Forest, which is the most ACC thing ever. It's a non-conference game. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, and Wake Wake's pretty good this year, so that's a, that could that could be another quality win. Then they got App State, then they got Clemson at home. So imagine a, a North Carolina team four and zero and in the top twenty five, and Clemson coming to Chapel Hill. Talk about a big moment in your first year. Um, thumbs down, Kansas. Les Miles, game one rallied to beat Indiana State twenty four seventeen. And this week they lost twelve to seven to Coastal Carolina. It does mm. not appear like they are wanting. Like that was my concern with Les Miles going to Kansas. It's the Big Twelve. You have to score. They they're not scoring against Indiana State and Coastal. They lost twelve to seven to Coastal Carolina. Um, 
I'm convinced there are 10 FCS schools that could beat Kansas. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, it you know, it was one and one, but that's that would be a huge red flag for me uh, if I'm the Jayhawks. And then, you know, thumbs down to Miami for starting 0-2 yet again. Um, you know, that, that team's better than that. That program's better than that. We're two games into the Manny Diaz era. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they'll have some moments this year because I like their players. Uh, but you're already a game down in the Coastal. Um, which is what you should – that should be the goal every year. So that's uh, that's all I got to say. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Looks like we're about done. I like it. Thumbs up to uh, everybody out there who's been uh, downloading and listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast in the thousands and growing. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with you next week and hopefully have a lot more interesting stories and results to talk about as the college football season I mean, heck, we'll be about a third of the way through after next week. That'll do it for us. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. Thank you so much for tuning in to another J.C. and Morgan podcast.